The Angeles National Forest. Over 600,000 acres of rugged slopes, rocky canyons, and hiking trails with incredible views across California's San Gabriel Mountains. On a good traffic day, this wilderness is less than an hour's drive from downtown Los Angeles. And it's a favorite spot for René Compian, a U.S. Navy veteran. It's where he went for a short hike he'd done many times before. But that was 13 hours ago. Now, he's completely lost. I don't have any water, I have no food, and I was wearing shorts, I was just wearing like my hoodie. I wasn't prepared for any of this. Rene has already imagined the worst case scenario. I'm not ready to die right now. God, I'm not ready to die. Rene doesn't know if help is on its way or if anyone even knows he's missing. And just when things couldn't get worse. I know it's like rocks coming down, like hitting the boulders coming down, like you hear the rocks. And I look more closely like, oh wait, and it was a mountain lion. I'm Tora Kachur, and this is Tell Me What Happened, true stories of people helping people, an original podcast by OnStar. Every day when you wake up, you don't know if you'll be a person who needs help or if you'll be a person that helps someone else. It's important to remember that it's in all of us to be either one of those things every day. 9 a.m., April 14th, 2021. René Compien parks his car in the primary lot of the Angeles National Forest. He works as a forklift driver in a warehouse, so these days off are precious, and the mountains are a special place for him. René grew up in Mexico, near the border, and later moved to Houston. All those areas were all flat. Like, there's no mountains, there's no scenery. So I always, always look at TV and see all these sceneries and how beautiful it is, and I always wonder what it's like to be in there until I moved to California when I joined the military. Rene remembers his first flights over the area. I was looking down, the ocean, the mountains. I'm like, oh my God. And then from then on, I just fell in love with looking at and hiking at these uh, mountains. And I, I built it up from there, and it says I never stopped. I, I love it. <laughs> Today, Rene is heading to Buckhorn Trail, one of his favorites, to get a little exercise. I've done it many times. I like it because it gives me a view of the horizon towards the city. It's a pretty easy hike. And you see a lot of people with the little ski sticks using it to hike up. At least that's something you used to see a lot. In December 2020, a massive fire tore through the central San Gabriel Mountains burning over 115,000 acres in and around the Angeles National Forest. It became known as the Bobcat Fire. This hike is Renee's first time back since that fire devastated the region. I was just keep on going my regular route. There was a lot of trees that were just like completely burned. Renee pushes on to the top. The trail normally zigzags to go up so it won't be that strenuous. So it just zigzags, keeps on going up. But when he gets to the summit, I was like sad because a lot of the trees were burned. It didn't look like what it used to look like when it was fully green. Rene takes some time to absorb this different view, but realizes he needs to get moving. He has a doctor's appointment at three. It's taken him months to get this appointment, and he's not going to miss it. 
But there's more traffic on the trail now. Oh, I'm not going to get down on time because I don't want to be cutting through them and telling them to move or whatever. So I told myself, okay, if I just go down straight instead of zigzagging, I'm going to get down to the street faster. Renee goes off trail. Just trying to rush to get back home. That was my first mistake. He doesn't plan to do this the whole way down, just a couple of times until he can get around the slower group. But as we all know, what we plan for and what happens can be very different things. I kept on going down. It's like, okay, I shouldn't go no more down. But it was hard for me to go back up because the soil and the rocks were loose that I couldn't really grip anything to get back up. So I said, okay, let me keep on going down a little further down and maybe I'll get to the road. So Renee keeps going straight down the hill. Or at least he thinks he's going straight down. As I kept on going down, I was like, wait, I'm going too far. I don't see the road. (laughs) The road's no longer there. Now, Renee's not sure what direction the parking lot's in or even how to get back to where he was. Renee's quick, familiar hike is turning into an epic trek. One that he's not prepared for. I only had a 16-ounce water bottle and also a Delvita cracker or breakfast biscuit. Every step is taking Renee further away from the trail. But he hasn't given up hope. He keeps calm and tries not to panic, still believing he can find his way back to the parking lot. I reached a little creek, and I'm like, okay, if I follow it, it's going to take me back by where they parked the car. It doesn't. Renee follows the creek, but he doesn't come to the road or the parking lot. In fact, now Renee's in an area he doesn't recognize at all. It was like a little cliff. It was maybe like 10 feet high. So I jumped down and I scraped my knees. So I started bleeding a little bit. I'm like, oh God, hopefully I didn't break my leg. Injured and disoriented with little water and almost no food, Renee's situation keeps getting worse. And that's when he realizes. I couldn't see, like, the points of the mountain peaks or anything. And I was like, oh, I'm lost. I'm lost. I don't even know where I'm at. The afternoon sun is beating down, and Renee's still walking, struggling over rocks and through trees, trying to figure out his next move. I was, like, so tired. And I was like, okay, I need to let somebody know that I'm here and that I'm lost, but I had no reception. To make things worse, the battery on his phone is running low. He hasn't got a backup battery. He turns his phone off to conserve what's left. Okay, so I need to get higher so maybe I could get a signal. But getting higher means climbing up a very steep, rocky incline. I don't do rock climbing. I've never done rock climbing. So literally I was like crawling up and holding myself to rocks. And I'm like, oh, hopefully I don't fall, because if I fall, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm not going to survive the fall. Renee finally gets to a spot where he can rest. He holds the phone high over his head and discovers he has reception. But... My phone had already gone to like 10%. So I sent an SOS message to my friend. And I put that I got lost. I'm by Buckhorn Trail, like around two or three miles down the mountain. Renee also sends two photos. One picture was of my legs, had a lot of burned charcoal and it was bleeding a little bit. And the other picture was of the horizon of that street, that road that I could see in the horizon. 
I don't have any water. I have no food. And I don't even know if my message was received. Renee's battery is running dangerously low, and he's lost signal. He has no idea how long it'll be before help comes, if it comes. The only thing he knows for sure is that if they don't come soon, he's out there all night. This is Tell Me What Happened, a podcast created by OnStar to showcase the importance of a human connection when you need help. Whether you're trapped in quicksand or standing on a cliff wondering how to get home. Now it's late afternoon. Rene Compian has been lost in the Angeles National Forest for a few hours. The sun will go down soon. He has no water, no food. His only hope is a short text message SOS and a couple of pictures that he sent to a friend. Meanwhile, less than 50 miles away from where Rene stands, Ben Quo is surrounded by the comforts of home, having an average workday. I was running a technology news site and, you know, just tracking what's going on in the world. Just before dinner, Ben's checking Twitter and a call for help catches his eye. I saw a post from the L.A. County Sheriff asking about this hiker and the post said, Are you an avid hiker in the Mount Waterman area? LASD SAR teams need help locating a missing hiker. And it had a picture of somebody's feet sitting on a rock. Renee's text message and the first photo had made it to his friend, who reported him lost. The second photo of the road in the distance, which would have been much more useful, didn't go through. A search and rescue team sets out for Renee's last known location, Buckhorn Trail. But the search area is massive. The police are hoping someone on social media might recognize the location in the photo. I saw that, and I bet you I can figure out where he is. And so that's when I sat down at the computer and started working on figuring out exactly where the photo was taken. Ben has an unusual hobby. It's called geolocation, and that is taking a look at a photo and figuring out from that photo, can you figure out where was it taken? And you can figure it out to the last, you know, centimeter where someone is, you know, based on the views, what's in the background. And I've always done that just for fun. (laughs) Never did it for anything really serious. I always thought of it as a silly hobby. Usually, Ben's challenge is finding locations he sees in movies and commercials. He's also used geolocation to track wildfires, and share information on how they're spreading on social media. Today, his skills could save a stranger's life. They'd given enough information saying, oh, he'd kind of started here. And I looked at the recent photos of the Angeles National Forest. An average hiker can cover as many as 20 miles a day. Renee could be anywhere. Ben starts by downloading 3D images of the Buckhorn Trail from Google Earth. You can set the day and time for any image in, in 3D. And the beauty of that is the shadows, when you look at a 3D image, you can see a mountain will cast a shadow depending on what time of day it is. Ben compares the shadows from Google Earth to the picture Renee sent. This allows him to narrow the search area, but it's still too big. Ben's about to give up, but then he has a breakthrough. If you look at the picture of his feet, you can see... You know, there's a green valley. Well, there's just a wildfire in that area. So there's not that many green valleys, right? Because a lot of it is ash. So Ben begins scanning satellite photos for patches of green in that area, compares them to Renee's picture. And I had a picture of 
the satellite view from what I thought was where his feet were, and it looks pretty good. It matches with the right color of the canyon and the hills. And I was able to go, hey, I know exactly which corner it was. And now Ben can calculate the exact coordinates of where Rene stood when he took the picture of his legs. 34 degrees, 18 minutes, 52 decimal 67 north, 117 degrees, 54 minutes, 34 decimal 92 west. Ben sends his information to the authorities and waits for a response. Out on the mountainside, it's starting to cool off. I was wearing shorts. I was just wearing, like, my hoodie. I wasn't prepared for any of this. Renee's found a spot where he can shelter in some rocks and see the whole area. That's when he realizes he isn't alone. Renee looks across the canyon. I know it's like rocks coming down, like hitting the boulders coming down, like you hear the rocks. And I look more closely and it was a mountain lion. All Renee can do is keep perfectly still and not make a sound. And I was like, okay, so it's over there on the other side. So I'm thinking, hopefully it doesn't come over here where I'm at. Not long after, Renee spots another animal across the canyon. I heard again rocks moving when there was a black bear that was walking in that side. And I'm thinking like, okay, there's a mountain lion, there's a black bear, and I'm totally exhausted. Renee tries to focus on staying alert. It's starting to get dark when he hears a noise that gives him hope. I was just yelling and jumping around, but it was maybe like two, three miles. The helicopter is too far away to spot him, but so close, it's almost cruel. The rescue team is searching the Buckhorn Trail based on Renee's text message. But Renee is miles off that trail now. For hours, Renee yells and moves around, trying to catch their attention. He uses up the rest of his phone battery, flashing the screen. For a moment, the helicopter searchlight lands on Renee. But it was so brief that it only lasted like a few seconds because they're moving it around in the mountain. One, two seconds. I'm like, ah, oh, that was too quick. They cannot see me. Eventually, the helicopter flies away. And that's when I told myself, okay, if they're going to come and look for me tomorrow again, I need to get to the other side of the hill. Renee decides it's safer to try the climb in the morning and stay put for the night. But sleep doesn't come easy. Every time I try to close my eyes and rest for like a second, I will hear something in the twigs or rocks, and I will open my eyes and I'll just look around and look around. If the authorities had received Ben Quo's geolocation tip, Renee might have come home that night. After the fact, I learned they actually never got to that information. It went to a giant bit bucket, <laughs> and they never would have seen it. However, Ben didn't just give the coordinates to search and rescue. I posted all this stuff on social media, and it turns out that someone who follows me for wildfires also knew the search and rescue guys who were looking for Renee at the time. And he passed that information on saying, hey, this guy kind of knows what he's doing. It's this connection, one more stranger coming to Renee's aid, that eventually gets Ben's information into the right hands. Renee's night on the mountain has been terrifying. 
Alone in the dark, every noise sounded like a threat. When the sun rises, Renee is exhausted, but determined to get higher. So if the rescue team returns, they'll be able to see him. I was thinking like, I don't know if I was going to make it there another night. A thick fog creeps in. Renee realizes he's got to climb high enough to clear it. At one point, Renee thinks he hears people walking and talking nearby. I would yell as loud as I could get three times, help, 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 and then stop. And I'm like, are they not hearing me? Renee is actually hallucinating. He's so tired and hungry that his mind is starting to play tricks on him. In this state, it would be easy to fall, get injured, an error that could be fatal. Now the fog is so thick, he can't get a sense of direction. He starts to pray. Within 15 minutes, the clouds opened up for like 10 seconds. They opened up for like 10 seconds, and I was able to see the tip of the mountain where I was at. And that's how I told myself, okay, no matter how hard it is, I'm going to have to follow that straight up. But Renee is low on energy. He stops for a pee break. My urine was like blood red. And I read about that. I'm like, oh, that means I'm dehydrated. Renee knows another night alone on the mountain isn't an option. He keeps climbing and finally reaches an open area. And then... Renee can hear the helicopter, but they can't see him. Just before 4 p.m., 25 hours after Renee's missed doctor's appointment, the rescue team finally receives Ben's tip. Okay, and where did this information come from? So the info came from somebody on Twitter kind of thinking that it might be in that area. What I heard from the crew chief is they went toward the location and the fog was rolling in and they couldn't actually see the latitude and longitude, the point that I'd given to them. And so they started going up the hill. And I could see the helicopter coming through the edge of the mountain peak around and they come in my way. And as they pulled out of the fog, Renee was right there. And then I was like, oh God, they've seen me. I like started like a little tear crying. A member of the rescue team descends on a line and appears in the fog, puts Renee in a harness, and pulls him up. I think they said I was like in shock because I was just looking out. I was just looking, like, and breathing, and then, like, looking, and they gave me a blanket and gave me water. And then the guy was telling me, like, you're so lucky we found you. Just like a week ago, Another hiker was found, but she was found dead in the same location area. It really did bring tears to my eyes to see, you know, somebody alive with her family. And I was also really happy that someone actually took my information and acted on it because it could have been a really bad situation. I feel he really wanted to do his best to help locate me. And that, to me, says a lot about an individual who's willing to, you know, extend and whatever their expertise are to helping um, save a life. He's a great person. Since that day, Ben has given a few seminars to the search and rescue team, explaining how he located Renee. I think they were surprised because it was, you know, a technology thing 
they use technology, obviously, in, in everything they do. But it's not like, oh, hey, let's calculate where someone is and go get them. It's more like, oh, hey, well, we'll go do a search and we'll throw a lot of people on the ground to do this. I was told, you know, the amount of risk that I removed by finding somebody or having a good idea of where they were is huge, right? They had 100 people out there looking for the guy and everybody out there is at risk. And so I think they were very happy that it worked out as well. Even after the whole incident of me getting lost, I still go out. I'm not afraid. I'm just like more cautious now and I know what not to do anymore. And I just am grateful that I'm able to still continue doing what I love and enjoy doing outside in the outdoors. Knowing what to do and what not to do on a hike is so important. Even though Rene was lost for just over 24 hours, he was in serious danger. This show is produced by OnStar. And they're focused on keeping you safe. So I'm turning to a very experienced wilderness survival expert, Jesse Krebs, for some tips. Starting with, what's the first thing you should do when you realize you're lost? Make yourself stop moving. It's called the STOP A acronym. So STOP, the T is think, the O is observe, the P is to make plans. And all four of those happen sitting on your butt. Sit down, take a drink of water, breathe. The worst thing to do is to just keep walking. And that's what most of us do. We end up a little disoriented. We step off the trail, realize we're not in the trail. And instead of stopping immediately and now doing a systematic test of our environment, so basically doing out and back, out and back, out and back in different directions, always coming back to the same center. And by doing that, that's a basic scouting technique. You can find the trail. People often cannot get themselves to stop moving. Short one hour, two hour hikes are generally the most dangerous because people know, they think they're, hey, I'm just going to be back home. I'm going to be back at the car in just a couple hours. So what's the big deal? And so that's what gets people in trouble the most. Can you tell me a little bit about the difference between preparing for a trip outdoors, whether it's a day or just an hour? What's the difference in how you prepare? Hopefully, if you're just going for an hour or for a day, you're packing the same stuff, basically. And that doesn't need to be a lot of gear, but it does need to take care of all of your basic needs. One of the basic needs is sustenance, and water is most important. When we're talking about sustenance food, I could care less. Most of us can go easily 30 days without food. So I don't care about food. And most survival situations last three days or less. So food, irrelevant. But water, water is pretty critical. If we don't get enough water, we're going to start feeling pretty bad pretty quickly and start making bad decisions. So how much water is in your area, <laughs> right? Whatever area you're going into, is it water plentiful? Is there lots of snow you can melt down? I can figure out what I need for water or sustenance for this particular environment. That's one basic need. Another is signaling, right? What are you going to use to signal with if you end up in trouble? If you know that the area you're in, your cell phone is going to work, it gets good signal, great. That can be your primary signal if that's what you want. And if it dies or you drop it off a cliff or you tumble down a cliff and when you go to reach for it, it's now shattered, right? Whatever happens. So having a backup battery for your cell phone is smart and a lot of signaling and navigation starts before you even leave. Do you have a map of the area? It's very easy to get online now and print out a map for free of the area you're going to. If for some reason you can't tell people you just on a whim or something decided to stop at a trailhead and go for a hike, at least put a note on the dash of your car that says, hey, if this car is still here at this time on this day, please contact 911. 
And then your last one is fire. And fire is awesome for a lot of things, but it's your last line of defense. I can have a lighter in a pocket. There's no such thing as cheating and survival. <laughs> so have a lighter in your pocket. All right, no cheating in the backcountry. So you can use your phone. What's the first thing you should do if you're worried about what happens when the phone dies? The best thing is to text or call 911. And that way they can hopefully tell you if you don't have your location on. Hopefully you've done that ahead of time. But if the first thing, if you can only get a couple of words out, try to tell them approximately where you are. That's the most critical part. Once they find you, they can deal with everything else. And keep in mind as well, one more thing that happens a fair amount with folks is cold soaking is a thing with anything battery operated. If it gets cold, it doesn't work as effectively. And the battery drains a lot faster. Take backup batteries. What about hiking in terrain that you're familiar with, but in a changing landscape? So you're now all of a sudden decided to go for a winter hike. You're hiking after a wildfire. What kind of precautions do you take for that? Don't get cocky. <laughs> Don't get overconfident. And once in a while, we say in the military, check your six. And that means look behind you, right? It's basically a way to look back and see what is it going to look like in the other direction. And that can be really tricky for people. And if they don't think about that, then it can look completely different. And now you're coming back and you hit this Y and you're like, uh-oh, which, which way was it, right? Just be smart. We're out there to go have fun. And then we want to get back home. <laughs> so make sure you can do that. That's it for this episode of OnStar's Tell Me What Happened, true stories of people helping people. If you'd like to read more stories like this one, or if you want more information about how to prepare for a hike and what to do if you get lost, there's a link in the show notes to take you to our website. Or you can go straight to OnStar.com and tell us your favorite story about a time that a stranger helped you. Let's share some love for people who help others in big ways and small. On behalf of OnStar, I'm Tora Couture, and please be safe out there.